In the end, it all came down to just one simple question. Which was more important? Having proof or being alive? Trust me, I turned away years ago and I've never looked back. Ellen Bates File and Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. and welcome to Violent Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And today we are finishing up on all things Mothman. So third and final episode of Mothman. If you don't know who... So much has been said, so much we're still going to say. So this is the fun parts about Mothman. Yep, this is all the fun and weird uh, stuff about Mothman that the internet has to offer. So if you want to know who he is and know about the sightings and everything, I'd say listen back to our, our uh, previous episodes. But if not, you just want like a light kind of taste of Mothman, we're going to cover some fun, fun things about him today. So you don't need to mm-hmm. go back, but we'd recommend it. Always just love that extra listen. Just the context of where all this is coming from, at least. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So to kind of get into the fun things, this was brought up on the previous episodes and everything, but it's coming up, so I wanted to announce it. The Mothman Festival is coming up on September 17th and 18th. So that is fun. Mm -hmm. A whole festival dedicated to this guy. Yeah. So it takes place in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and if you don't remember... What that is, it's the... where this place originates, unless Japan counts. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it kind of commemorates the Mothman visitations in the 1960s, and it's held in downtown Point Pleasant, and it features live music, merchandise from a lot of vendors, food trucks, a lot of cosplay, uh, speakers, and kind of exhibitions and museums as well. So... All things cryptid, strange, and moth-like. And nerdy, too. And we'll get into it. So, like we said, it's located in Point Pleasant. It's right in the heart of the main street, usually between the 200 and 500 blocks. Once you come off the Green Bridge in Point Pleasant, you will travel approximately one block. And on the left to the side is the epicenter of the festival. So it's a very small town, but huge festival. It's very easy to find. You'll find a lot of people. And guess mm-hmm. what? The admission what? is free. What, what? Oh, yeah. So some attractions in the festival might have a fee like the museums and such, but the festival in its entirety is free to get into. So, yeah. Can't and beat those prices. No, and they have $5 hay rides and a couple other uh, stuff for tickets. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to know what goes on there, it's so like, what are some attractions? So, they have a lot of paranormal guest speakers. So, anything from Mothman, Bigfoot, UFOs that have kind of happened in the past year, or just even in the past that are big, they come to Mothman Festival to speak. Um, we've mm-hmm. touched on the tech. He is, he is kind of like the good cross between those two different subgenre type things because like it is potential ufo but also cryptid so that's like a weird merger naturally of those two different subgroups yeah yeah no he is he that's that's kind of why he's like the epicenter for all this um meetings and all that stuff um so we did touch on the mothman statue so i'm not going to touch on that too much There's also private bus tours that kind of lead you into the heart of the TNT areas now, um, where a lot of the sightings had taken place. And you get to visit the exclusive ammunition bunkers, or igloos, as the locals call them. And besides that, they have a Ghostbusters kind of event. 
and it's kind of like Comic-Con mixed in with uh, balloons and just sort of cosplay and everything. So that's pretty cool. There's a Mothman costume contest besides that. And then also the Star Wars 501st Legion. So it's the 501st dressing up. Um, You can hire them to come to places. They are there too. So that's Anakin slash Darth Vader's uh, clone troopers. I want to say like the 501st was like kind of like the epicenter. They were the top tier troopers during the Clone Wars and then also the top tier when they were stormtroopers during the Empire. But that's me nerding out. But yeah, if you watch the Clone Wars TV show, 501st was big, Rex was big, Ahsoka Tano was big. So if you're in the Star Wars series, I'm sure you'll learn all about them in the new Ahsoka show that's coming out. Um, I thought they only, there was first the Mandalorian, then Boba Fett, now Obi-Wan Kenobi. They're doing one for Ahsoka now? Yep, they're doing one with Ahsoka. It's basically taking place after Rebels uh, Rebels left off. So it's kind of like a new season of Rebels that's live action. So you get like Hera, Sabine, all of them in there too, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Weird how that went from like just... A need for a side character during Clone Wars, and now that's become like a central character for the entire series. That's awesome. She had the best character arc, in my opinion, and she's like the best Jedi. But you know that well, she's that's technically not a Jedi. Well, I mean, she's the embodiment of what the Jedi were supposed to stand for. She she's the embodiment of the light side, though. But she just doesn't follow the Jedi code because it got corrupted with the war and everything. So she's what the Jedi are supposed mm. to be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're getting kind of nerdy here, so sorry about that. But, I mean, you're listening to the show, so I'm just assuming you guys are one as well. But that is the Mothman Festival, and again, that's September 17th and 18th. So now, John's going to get into a story, right? Oh, yes, it's a creepypasta. Yay, I love those. Which is just a scary story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to our uh, Slenderman uh, episode if you want to kind of know the origins of Creepypasta because we covered those pretty in-depth there. But, John, John, take it away. All righty. Well, here we go. It's going to start off kind of weird, and we're going to do who wrote it at the very end because that's how it was presented. Nice. But perhaps you remember it. Perhaps you don't. Either way, it doesn't matter. After all, I do. In the winter of 2011 to 2012, there was a string of people who disappeared without a trace on Newfoundland Island. They all lived in remote groups of about 20 people, barely qualifying as villages. They had all gone outside in blizzards, and everyone believed they had wandered off into a whiteout and got lost in the storm. None of their bodies had ever been found, and the fact that more than two feet of snow had fallen on top of the bodies didn't help. Anyway, on to the portion of the story that involves me specifically. I lived in a small community of about 37 people. One of the missing peoples was a member of our small hamlet. It was in one of the worst storms of that January, and despite our warnings, the man in question pushed past us like a man possessed, screaming something about, the need for food and needing to go up, all save five of us never saw that man again. They were the lucky ones. By the third day, after he had left, it was light enough and clear enough for us to go outside. We were in the middle of a valley surrounded by two high ridges. The snow was about four feet high when we went outside. However, when we cleared away most of that snow from the single road going through the town, we saw that the snow was only that deep in the middle of the valley, and it was manageable on the mountains. Given his previous statements, we also thought that this was a reasonable place to begin looking. Five of us returned to our respective homes to get mountaineering equipment and weapons. As we left the comparative safety of the village, we climbed up the mountain and were approaching the peak, when suddenly, something leaped out of nowhere onto one of the members of our troop. 
I pulled the 35-8 Magnum revolver from the holster I had strapped to my side and shot the creature from the back of my companion. The bullet went straight between the eyes of the bastard, and you could see that it was a wolf. The dead creature fell limply off the man as he stood up, shaking the snow off himself. I could hear the gunshot echoing between the walls of the valley. I knew I had made a mistake as soon as the corpse fell off of him. There were waves of snow traveling at unbelievable speeds down the mountain towards us. The noise of the wall of the snow falling was deafening, and I yelled to all to brace for impact. I saw two of us swept away by the snow and hunkered down as I experienced a limbo like nothing anyone who has not been in that position could know. I had to keep my eyes shut as tight as I could. In the moments when I did open my eyes, all I could see was a blank white nothingness. I could hear nothing because my ears were filled with snow, and eventually I realized that the movement had ceased. I knew what I had to do in these circumstances and released my bladder and felt it move towards my feet. I breathed a silent thank you that it hadn't been the other way around. I heaved my hands around my head and started to slowly dig upwards. Progress was slow, but I eventually clambered out of a small hole as the thick snow caved in behind me. Hello? I yelled, despairing. Suddenly, I noticed a flash of bright orange down the mountain about 500 yards away. It was Teller, a man from New York who had come and lived in the village for about two months. I didn't know much about him, but I liked him nonetheless. He was wearing a highly visible coat, and I was glad of it. He was waving and yelling, and I saw the avalanche rumbling on behind him. I put on snowshoes and walked briskly towards him. I pulled him out of the snow and helped him put his snowshoes on. We decided to walk together on the same kind of level, looking for the other members of the group. Firstly, we found the body of one of the group. His airways were full of snow, and we decided he had suffocated. Nasty way to go, commented Teller, but I've seen worse. How so? I asked him. I served in Vietnam, a medic, you understand. I was about to tell him I did when I saw something that caught my eye. There was a person lying on his side about 300 meters above us. I started up the mountain, Teller following me. It was Jackson, the fourth member of our group. He was unconscious but alive, and we sat there, wasting precious time as we waited for Jackson to wake up. Suddenly he started coughing, and lumps of snow came up along with a small amount of blood. We trekked on for about... Another half an hour, looking for the two missing people we were looking for. It was getting dark, and there was the sound of wolves baying for blood. So we started down the mountain. It was discouraging, to say the least, having lost two members of our party and not having found the first missing person. That last point was about to change. The sun was setting behind the crest of the ridge, when suddenly I saw a red tinge on the surface of the snow. I pointed it out to Jackson and Teller, and we started digging through the snow. We only had to dig about two inches before we saw the lifeless, frozen face of Farmer, the original missing person. He was almost as white as the snow he lay on. It wasn't as if he was just cold, it was more as if he had had the color sucked out of him. We excavated the rest of him from the icy ropes that surrounded him, and discovered the gruesome fact of his death. His chest had been ripped open with inhuman strength, and his heart, which was clearly visible, was intact, save for a single hole punched straight through the middle of the organ. When we inspected the other wounds, such as the one on his hands, defense wounds, Teller said, they appeared to have been made with claws, and they were absolutely devoid of liquid blood. We knew that this couldn't have been done by any non-intelligent being. The wound on the heart, and the fact that when the chest was ripped open, there was no damage made to the heart, then that confirmed this. But the wounds on the arm, on both of his arms, and the act of the sucking of blood from the heart seemed to deny that this was human. And we were right.
We knew that we couldn't take a body with us, and it was approaching complete darkness. We all had mag lights with us, and we also had weapons with us, a 12-16 shotgun, an M15 rifle, and my 35-8 Magnum. But we could see that whatever had killed Farmer, we had to take the flight option. We left Farmer's body. Skiing, we had chosen to change from snowshoes to skis after the lights started to go. We were now in the shadow of the opposing mountain wall, and we had to switch from our heavy, handheld mag lights to smaller, less powerful LED headlamps. It was a horrific experience, and we could all feel the eyes of some all-seeing, malignant presence watching over us. Jackson wasn't looking where he was skiing, and he suddenly went over, tripping on a rock that was on the top of the snow somehow, almost as if it had been placed there. As the light of his headlamp swung around, I caught sight of a creature. It leapt on Jackson, clawing at the arms he had put in front of himself. I reached towards his chest and caught hold of both of Jackson's shoulders, and using a dexterous claw on its foot, not unlike that of a velociraptor, we watched in palpable horror as the beast used this to slid open the flesh in the middle of the chest and the sternum. With immense bestial strength and a roar of animal rage, he thrust his hand inside the wound and pulled them away from each other, creating an explosion of blood and leant forward towards Jackson's still-beating heart. I should probably back up for a moment and describe the creature. It was about seven foot tall, it had light gray skin stretched taut over its bones and muscles. Its eyes reflected red in the light, and it had claws on its hands and feet. The claws on its hands were of a significantly smaller size than the talons of its feet, presumably to help maneuverability. But there are two things that made it even more frightening. Its mouth was like a rotting hole on its face, ragged at the edges with a needle-sharp proboscis, which was revealed when one flap of the ragged flesh was raised up. I have left, however, the most extraordinary feature until last. On his back, he had two large wings, each bigger than me. They were like butterfly wings, but more drab, like a moth's. Anyway, back to the story. Jackson was still screaming, and the proboscis of that wretched bastard was still approaching the heart. Time seemed to slow down as I thought back about the missing peoples. I realized that the creature was responsible for the disappearance and death of them all. They had disappeared every three days, which had to be how often he had to feed. And that was when I knew what I had to do if we were to have any chance of success against it. I reached for the holster strapped to my leg, and lined up the sights on the 35-8 Magnum, I pulled the trigger on the revolver. I shot Jackson in the heart. It screamed out and leaped at me. I shot off the remaining four rounds of the Magnum. One of them must have hit his stomach or something as gallons of human blood spilt forth from the wound. The other three wounds oozed a translucent blue liquid. It tried to take off, but Teller shredded one of its wings with a couple of slugs from the 1216. I ran to Jackson, tossing away my magnum and instead picking up the M15 rifle from beside Jackson. The beast, though injured, screamed with a last roar and rushed Teller. I shot the beast in the back, and a fountain of blue splattered Teller's face. It fell over, and Teller stood up, looked down the barrel of the 1216, and shattered the skull of the beast. We looked at each other, shook our heads, and, in silence, walked back down the hill towards the village. The next day, we went back to where the bodies of all four people had been. We found them all. But the body of the Mothman, I had searched the web for similar creatures, had disappeared. His blood was still there, and we sent samples of that to labs, after the burials of the dead, I moved. Teller had had a job. Teller had had a job offer as 
a surgeon in Point Pleasant, and I decided to move with him. After all, I had no family there, and I wanted a fresh start. Besides, Teller was my only real friend, and the only one who would believe my story. But this was not the end. I figured that it has a level of telepathic power, which it used to make the victims come to him, and he had a family. I think as he was dying, he sent an image of me and Teller to his family. And I think they want revenge. But for now, they're happy just watching and waiting for the opportune moment. Written by user Mophead. Nice. Very nice. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy mountain story. Not in ex- Not a start that I expected at all. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought out in northern Canada led to the Point Pleasant stuff? So that's sort of like an explanation of where Mothman originated and everybody kind of got it. It's kind of a neat take. No, it, it really is a cool take. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, making sure people know, not a sighting, made up story. Yes. Yep. Creepy pasta. Mm-hmm. Just somebody using the Mothman thing to make a good story. Not yes. bad. No, not bad at all. I think it's pretty good. Hey, do you love gold jewelry that has meaning? Do you want to emphasize your beauty and uniqueness? Check out com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-A-B-R-I-L-L-A-R-E.com. They have a great selection of 18 karat gold-plated jewelry at an affordable price. I personally got the Yasami, a snake, and Isa, and I absolutely love them. Go to LibertaBrilliere.com and use code B-I-C-E, all caps, for 50% off. That's right, 50% off, all caps on the vice. And stay sparkly, darling. Now, we're going to switch to a lighter note and then get back to another darker note, but... Lighter note, there is two published Mothman songs on Spotify that I came across in my research. and Songs? Yes, songs. Like, people have had a band, and they sing it, and they're actually pretty good. Like, not gonna lie. Uh, the lyrics are kind of funny, but, like, they're pretty good songs. They have a good beat to them. So... You can check out what I'm going to say next. Uh, I'll give you the song title and the author on Spotify. They are both there. I listen to them both. Um, But yeah, they're kind of cool. So I'm going to read you a couple of the lyrics and give you the title and everything. Um, The first one is called Cryptid, parentheses, Mothman, song by Ratwife. It's R-A-T-W-Y-F-E. And it's available on Spotify. So I'm going to try to read this as like a dramatic poem, but it's a song. Okay. It's not going to sound anything like it on Spotify, but I'll, I'm just going to kind of read you the lyrics. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you ever wonder why I only show up in blurry photographs? Why I feel like I have to hide when other perceptions give me panic attacks? So when I am out, I'm out behind the trees. I head in the forest where I can be free. Maybe to you it sounds a little strange, but maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. Maybe I want to be a cryptid. Maybe I don't want to exist in this world. When everyone's comments turn into scars and everyone lies and says, be who you are. What if I want to be a cryptid? Maybe my ideal body is Bigfoot's. Do you ever think that I'd still hate my body if I grew wings and disappeared into the sky? I don't think anybody's words would matter. When I can swoop down and kill them from 30 feet high. So when I feel sad, I'll screech in the night, confuse all my neighbors, or give them a fright. Then wonder why they think I'm a little strange. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. Maybe I want to be a cryptid. Maybe I don't want to exist in this world. And everyone lies and says, be who you are. What if I want to be cryptid? Maybe my ideal body is Mothman's. Lately, I've been putting the cry in cryptid. And wishing I could melt into the swamps. Beady red eyes can't see beauty standards. And stealing someone's skin would hide all my flaws. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. Maybe I want to be a cryptid. Maybe I don't want to exist in this world. 
When everyone's comments turn into scars and everyone lies and says, be who you are. What if I want to be a cryptid? Maybe my ideal body is Mothman's. And that is the song. And it's a lot more upbeat. I know the lyrics are kind of not happy, but the the song is kind of upbeat and like a happy melody, which is kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... Yeah, you're right. The lyrics don't exactly allude to a happy-go-lucky attitude sort of thing, but I don't know. It's sort of been like a trend where the lyrics can be kind of on the downer side while the music itself is pretty upbeat. Yeah, no, it's definitely... Definitely goes that... Goes kind of that way. Um, This next song is kind of more of a funny song. It's called The Mothman Song, Believe in the Power of Mothman by the Paranormal Song Warrior. This is also available on Spotify. So I'm only going to read the chorus once and then I'll read the verses. Um, But it's like chorus, verse, chorus, verse, just letting you guys know how the song goes. So the chorus is, believe, believe, yes, you can believe in the power of Mothman. Believe, believe, yes, you can believe in the power of Mothman. When he's seven feet tall with eyes of red, and if you don't listen to him, you'll wind up dead. He tried to warn everybody, yes he did, about how they were in danger from a broken bridge. Mothman, Mothman, I believe in ya, flying around the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, with your bright red eyes and your gigantic wings that make me, make me, make me, make me want to sing. Well, this ain't no sparrow, it ain't no owl, with its high speed flying and its high pitched howl it's not a hawk not an eagle not a bat nor pheasant it's mount it's mothman of point pleasant believe believe yes you can believe believe in the power of mothman believe believe yes you can believe in the power of mothman believe in the mothman and that is it for that song well yeah that sounds a lot more upbeat it is it is um it's a guy singing it it's pretty fun if you watch the YouTube video, he's in a tinfoil hat. It's kind of funny. Um, oh, so sort of like a self-aware of what he's singing about, but also like making it fun. Yes, very much so. So, um, yeah. Okay. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And I'll turn it over to you, John John. Back at ya. Oh, I've got another story for you. Ooh. I don't quite know if this is more of a recollection or just somebody who did a story but the user is kissarmy7978 and I'm guessing the capital K-I-S-S is related to the band Kiss. Nice. I guess. So. Nice. Yeah. It is titled My Mothman Encounter. I want to share my story. Approximately five years ago, I was driving home from my job as a correctional officer at Cook County Jail in Chicago, Illinois. My shift ended at 11 p.m. and it took me approximately 35-45 minutes to drive home from work. As I always did, I would call my wife and let her know I was safe from my shift and typically she would keep me company on my Bluetooth while I drove home. Every night when I drove home, I took... Midlothian Turnpike, but it's a few blocks out the exit of the expressway. Midlothian Turnpike will also lead you to the location of Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. And as I drove Bachelor Bachelor's Grove Cemetery, I figure, which I can only describe as a pterodactyl, flew over across my car and across the road into the woods on the other side of the street. I screamed as I thought I was going to hit something. My wife is still on the phone now yelling, asking me what is going on and if I was okay. I had to get my bearings together, but I was so scared. I thought about stopping at the gas station ahead, but I knew I was close to home. When I got home, we got a good laugh about it. Two days ago, I told this story to my boss. He asked if I knew what Mothman was. I heard of it, but wasn't familiar on its stories. When I look back now, many things happened that I believe may have been a result of my encounter. I probably won't talk about this again, as I don't expect anyone to believe me, 
And I don't want to feed it any energy to come back. Thank you for being open-minded. If anyone here would like to know more or know something who may want this info, please message me here. So, it's possibly a real one or somebody trying to make it sound like a real one. Yeah. No, it, yeah. But yeah, it's just a sighting. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice. Um, I also have a creepypasta. A creepypasta. Good, scary story. Yeah. And it's just on the creepypasta website. It has dash cryptids, but I don't think that's the username. And when I click the source link, it just shows a text file of this kind of story. So the author is anonymous. But when you type in Mothman and creepypasta, it's like the first one that comes up. Okay. So wanted to try to cite the source as best as I could. All right. So, Michael was a 12-year-old boy who lived in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. He lived with a small family of three since his father passed away when he was seven. In his middle school, he was in the cryptozoology group. In fact, he was the leader of said group. He and his five friends, Ashley, Ben, Zach, Kaylee, and Joshua, would meet in the science classroom and discuss different cryptids and urban legends. Sounds like something we would do. Um... Every week, they would choose another cryptid to discuss, and another member would research it. They quickly flew through the list of cryptids easily, from Ahul to the Zanzibar leopard. Eventually, in December, they were at a loss of cryptids to research, until one member learned of another local legend, the Mothman. He told everything that he knew about him, and one by one, the cryptid group grew on them. They argued over who should study it when Michael, being the leader, announced that everybody would do this as the cryptozoology's final cryptid. He read everything he could about Mothman, and through the reading of the witness reports, found a possible hideout for it. Using all the group's funds, they convinced the principal to give them a field trip to West Virginia Ordnance Works, an abandoned World War II TNT factory. The bus driver drove seven miles away from Point Pleasant and told them to come back if anything went wrong and to stay together. The six kids jumped off the bus and slowly walked around towards the first building of the ordinance works. Along the way, each kid muttered to each other about how the air smelled like smoke and how freezing cold it was. Michael was the most excited. This was going to be amazing. He daydreamed about walking into the enigmatic-looking building and being startled by Mothman sitting up on a perch, then discovering Mothman was friendly and riding him far away on the breeze. He smiled at the thought, but it was interrupted when he saw he was at a door. He nearly squealed with excitement as he opened the door and held it for his friends to come through. They crept through the doorway with their shoes making dragging sounds against the dirt final floor, and came to a stop once they were all inside. Michael let go of the door and walked forward in silence. Everyone jumped when the door made a loud echoing slam that seemed to echo for hours. The building was dirty inside, with brick walls, broken machines here and there, and one shattered window, with which was the only light source in the dimly lit bu- building. They stood there in silence for a second, before Michael broke the silence by taking a step forward. He looked back at his friends, and they followed his lead and came forward. They walked through the large main room, dragging their feet as they walked. Ashley glanced out the window and saw what looked like a raven or a crow fly by. She sighed, letting out a cloud of warm air come out of her mouth and looked ahead. So like, loud, well, you know, the vapor on a cold day. Michael opened the door for them to go through. Atop a set of rusty stairs through, Joshua insisted that they go through another door just underneath the stairs. Ashley insisted yet another door. Zach f- was fed up with the bickering and suggested that they all split up into groups. Zach went with Joshua, Ashley went with Ben, and Michael went with Kaylee. They agreed to meet at the bus if anything went wrong. Michael grabbed the flashlight out of his backpack and turned it on. He nervously smiled at Kaylee and continued through the door. He opened it and closed it as they entered, which again made a loud echoing slam. They crept down the hallway, which was pitch black aside from the flashlight. They felt very uneasy, as if they couldn't see anything four feet away from them. So, how are you holding up, Kaylee? he asked. 
to lighten the mood a bit. Fine, but something feels off, she said. What do you mean, he retorted. I mean, she was cut off by the sound of a door slamming. They quickly spun around and heard a slow, scraping steps coming closer to them. They stared in horror and silence as the steps became louder and louder. Two dim red lights appeared down the hall. Kaylee wanted to ask what they were, but her throat seemed to swell shut. The lights grew brighter and bigger as the footsteps became louder and louder. Michael felt a chill run down his spine, and he stepped backwards, nervously. There was one last step, and then they stopped. The two huge red lights seemed to glow. Michael's arm twitched as he slowly raised the flashlight to the lights. It was shown to reveal a humanoid creature with glossy feathers. Its feet were scaly and green with long black talons that seemed to dig into the ground. His shoulders were about one foot taller than his head, and they were tipped with long black wings. And its head, it seemed to be pushed down into its chest, and it had two huge red eyes, as big as dinner plates with no pupils, no light, yet they seemed to glow. Its mouth appeared to be either missing or covered by feathers. The two children then stared at the creature, too scared to move. The creature stood there, motionless and expressionless. Michael attempted to whisper, run to Kaylee, but all that came out was a loud squeak. Upon hearing this, the creature's eyes seemed to become even brighter, and it let out this horrible, otherworldly screeching noise, which reminded Michael of a mix of a scream from the horror movie or an ambulance's siren. It unfolded its wings, and then it charged. Michael screamed at Kaylee to run, grabbed her hand, and they tried to run. But Kaylee wouldn't budge. Her face was stuck with an expression of sheer terror, and she was staring the creature in its eyes. Michael tugged and tugged on her arm, but she wouldn't budge. The creature was practically on top of them, so Michael sighed and let go. He ran down the hall, gasping for a breath. He heard a short scream, lasting only for a second, and then nothing. The creature's eyes then shone through the darkness and toward, turned towards him. He screamed and sprinted down the hall. His thoughts raced through his head about what might have happened if he was caught and how he would escape. He looked around desperately for an exit or a hiding spot, but to no avail. He glanced behind him and saw it gaining on him, and fast. He felt his stomach turn and sweat roll down his face. He turned forward again and tried running faster. As he ran, he saw the door on the side of the hallway. Michael gasped and ran ahead. He stopped quickly at it, locked. He looked to his left and saw the eyes getting closer and closer. He screamed yet again and frantically turned the knob back and forth. Click. The door opened. He ran inside and left the door slightly ajar. He backed away behind a table in the room and prayed it wouldn't find him. He heard the scraping footsteps again and then heard them slow down. He held his hand over his mouth to quiet his breathing so that the creature would not hear him. He was so terrified that tears rolled down his face. He was shaking. Through the blur of his tears, he saw that there was a hand mirror in the room, so he held it up to see behind him so that he didn't have to move. There it was. He yelped and turned around to see its red eyes gazing down at him. He screamed, No! as the silent creature leapt over the table at him. Afterwards, when it was time to leave, Zach, Ben, Josh, and Ashley met outside in the snow and asked each other if they'd seen Michael or Kaylee. Nobody had, so they sighed, puffed out clouds of warm air, and kicked their feet off the ground. They were interrupted by a sudden, ominous screech. They stopped sighing and turned to look back at the building. The creature flew out of the shattered window, as it flew, it twitched and writhed and fell and rose. It flew as though if it were broken. It flew directly over the kids and flew over the kids' heads. Something fell off of it as it flew by and landed on Ashley's hand. It was a drop of blood. It flew up into the sky, and it hasn't been seen since. Mothman, Ben mumbled, cometh. Where is it now? Please, dear, dear reader, don't think about it too much. And that's it. Creepy. Yeah. I mean, okay, but 
The principal shouldn't have let seven kids or however many kids go off alone. And then an abandoned thing unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I blame the adults in this situation. I mean, just the fact that it was in an abandoned building without any adult supervision. That's already this like a huge red flag. Because like even if they don't even find anything, just structurally it's abandoned for a reason. Something bad could happen. Yeah, I mean it's a dilapidated building, not to mention there could be like vagrants or, you know, people hiding out there that may hurt kids. So like you don't want to just leave them there unsupervised. Definitely not. Yeah. All right, John, John, do you have one more or should I get into the movies? I got one more story by a Colin the Wolf 08. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's titled, I snuck out one night and saw something unexplainable. My eyes widened as I saw the gift my dad had bought me. It was an electric bike. I had wanted one for the longest time and I had finally got it. Unfortunately, I couldn't ride it, because snow was still around. I waited patiently for the winter to end. Soon enough, my big break came. The snow had melted. I woke up, and I saw the snow was gone. I ran to my parents as fast as I could. Dad, the snow is gone! I shouted with delight. Well, that's good, honey. Is there something you want to ask your mother and I? He asked. Yeah. Can I ride the bike you got me for Christmas? The snow's gone, and I really want to ride it, I said. All right, I guess let me get it set up, honey, my father replied. Soon enough, the bike was ready to go. I rode it through the yard. It was very fun. I almost fell off a few times. I eventually got the hang of it, and my father told me I could ride it on the road. First, I started slow. Then I sped up speed every time I went. Eventually, I started going on the third gear. It was so fun. One of the rides, I examined the scenery around me. I then got an idea. Imagine this area at night. It would be so cool, I said to myself. After a few hours, it was time for dinner. I parked the bike and went inside. As we ate in my mind, I began to create a plan where I would sneak out at night and ride the bike down the road. It was stupid, I know. After dinner, I played some video games. My mom and dad came up to me. We're off to bed. Don't stay up too late, sweetheart, my mother said in a light-toned voice. Got it, Mom, I said back. I played games until I felt it was safe to sneak out. I tiptoed to the basement door. I opened it. I crept down the stairs as I quietly shut the door. I walked over to the bike and took the covering off the bike. We had a garage door and a normal door in the basement. I opted for the normal door as it was more quiet. I opened the door and wheeled the bike out. I then got on. Riding it up the lawn and onto the road, I examined the area. It looked creepy at night, but that's what I wanted to see. I put the bike on the highest gear and flew down the road. I heard leaves crunching in the woods. I stopped looking into the tree line. Nothing, I mean nothing, would have prepared me for what I saw next. I looked in the woods, seeing two big red eyes, the size of baseballs, looking back at me. I got out of the shocked state and sped down the road as fast as I could. I heard a gliding sound behind me. I sped down the road for God knows how long. I finally looked back and saw it. The thing that was chasing me. It was black. It looked to have massive wings, about ten feet. I only saw wings before I turned back to the road, running for my life as I thought whatever was chasing me was trying to kill me. I was going about thirty miles per hour. It was fast for me. The bike began to wobble, and it spun out. I went flying off into the nearby ditch, I could feel the cuts and blood on my body as well as the tears drenching down my face. It hurt everywhere, like a burning and needles being stuck into my skin. I opened my eyes. It was blurry, but I saw the creature looming over me. 
It looked bird-like, but I didn't see a beak. It was black with fur, and I saw its two massive ten-foot wings. It looked to be about eight feet tall and easily loomed over me. It looked otherworldly, like it wasn't from this planet. Almost as if it was meant to look like that, not a mutation. My ears were ringing and my life was flashing before my eyes. I kept hearing the same phrase over and over again. Three will die. Three will die. Three will die. I eventually got up, ignoring the pain. I ran to the bike and got on and sped home. I didn't dare look back. I eventually reached our driveway and got off the bike and grabbed the key under the welcome mat, using it to unlock and open the door. I threw myself down onto the couch, crying. My parents ran out, angry and confused. I began to tell them what I had done, but all they heard were cries. My dad checked outside and saw the bike and put two and two together. He began to scream at me, to be honest. I deserved it. I began to calm down and told him what happened. He told me that what I saw was part of my imagination and wasn't real. I argued with him, but couldn't convince him. I ran to my room and cried myself to sleep. I awoke to beeping, but it wasn't my alarm clock. I eventually recognized it as a heart monitor in a hospital. The nurse saw me and yelled, She's awake! Come quick! She's, she's alive! My dad came rushing in and hugged me. I saw tears in his eyes. I was confused at this. I eventually saw my body was covered in bandages. What happened? Why are you so sad? I asked. I'm sorry, my father cried. He began to explain that he left the stove on and forgot to turn it off. After we went to bed again, the house started to burn and he was able to get me out. Where's, where's mom? Where's my siblings? I asked. He began to explain the story. My father had finished up dinner but was called away by my mother. He had left the stove on and forgot to turn it off. After I had come back and he scolded me, he went back to sleep. The house began to burn down. He exited the house and brought me out. He went back in and could not find my other siblings or my mother. He hugged me as I cried and repeated, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I looked up my encounter with that thing and found out multiple people had similar encounters. I came to find out that the thing I saw was most likely a creature known as the Mothman. Is usually seen before disasters or deadly events such as the Silver Bridge collapse in 1967. I got therapy after and eventually forgot all about it, but the shock and fear of the situation has come back recently. I tell my husband, but he doesn't believe me about what I'm seeing. I have been getting a bad feeling recently in our apartment keep telling my husband that we need to leave, but understandably, he tells me it's just my imagination. The reason I've been so concerned is because every night, whenever I look out our apartment window, I see two glowing, big, red eyes staring back at me from the alleyway. The end. Nice, nice, nice. Mm -hmm. So that, um, okay. So I was going to talk about the documentaries first, but that's actually a fantastic segue into the Mothman prophecies. What, what? Look at that. Because um, that's basically the storyline. It covers like three of those people. It's stars Richard uh, Geary, who's, uh, if you recognize the name, but can't think of what he's from. He's the main love interest in Pre Pretty Woman. He was, like, really big in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Richard Greer? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, so The Mothman Prophecies was a 2002 thriller horror film that came out, and it focuses on a journalist whose wife experienced a, tr a strange moth-like vision immediately before she was killed. Um... So she was in a car accident because of Mothman. Like, she saw Mothman, and it spoke to her, and then she died of cancer afterward. Two years later, during an interview, Richard Greer's character fi finds himself hundreds of miles away from where he's supposed to be, and he finds himself in the town of Point Pleasant, 
where there has been a prolification of Mothman sightings. So lots of people have seen him. And his research concludes that the visions that Mothman gives are omens of disaster. So there's three people that have received visions throughout this time. They're given numbers and kind of like visions of the event or whatnot. So throughout the movie, these start to happen and people get more and more suspicious. Like it'll say like 37 will die or or uh, three will die or something like that. And then something happens where that number of people dies. And oh. it's usually happens around the person that gets that vision. Um, so it's, it's pretty suspenseful. Um, also, if you've seen the show, the Ozarks, the leading lady is the wife and the Ozarks. Okay. Now I'm watching that. So she's the main character's wife. Uh, she's just, she's a policeman, uh, for Point Pleasant. She's the main character. Uh, Richard Geary's wife dies early on in the film. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually a really good... I mean, it's a good thriller for 2002. Do you think if they did it now, it'd be a lot more CGI'd? Yeah, they really didn't CGI it too, too much, but they had the tricks to keep it very suspenseful. And if you mm. listen to our last quote... Uh, from the Mothman episode on the sightings, we took a quote from this movie. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but would recommend. I mean, it's still a good thriller for today. It's just not as um, horror filmy, like not as many jump scares or whatnot, but def definite thriller factor. Okay, thriller factor. Yeah, the Slender Man movie could have used tips from this movie. Mm. So they do a good job with maintaining suspense. Yes. Yeah, yes, they do. Mm, good. All right. So the next one we're going to cover is pretty much a documentary. It's it's pretty scientific, does like a lot of sightings. Uh, it goes about the research in the right way, kind of covers everything that we covered and then a bit more. It's called The Mothman of Point Pleasant, a full-exclusive monster documentary by Seth Breedlove. Um, his team consists of Dammy, uh, Danny Bellamy Mason and Lyle Blackburn. It was produced in 2017. They have a few more sightings than what we covered. They have good visuals along with like the people speaking. It's basically like those monster documentaries that we used to watch, but like this one covers the sightings and it goes a pretty scientific route with it. The runtime's about an hour and seven minutes. Okay. And, and it's just kind of does what we did with our last couple episodes, but with a more documentary feel. Exactly, yes. And then they have a second documentary, the same group that came out. It's called Mothman Legacy. And this one kind of gets into more fun and s speculating of what, like, Mothman could be and everything. It focuses kind of heavily on the work of Jeff Wamsley, the man who owns the only existing Mothman museum. So, like, it talks about a lot about the town and kind of stuff that they do. They interview uh, Keel, who was, like, the source for the information regarding the Sidians in the 60s. And Keel was the one who wrote the Mothman prophecy. So that movie that I just you know, talked about earlier, earlier, that mm. thriller suspense movie. Like based off of that book that he wrote. Yes. Yep. So, uh, this documentary also documents Woodrow Derbringer's experiences with injury cold and the possible, uh, connections to Mothman. So Wamsley also worked to document continued sightings of Mothman's uh, from the 70s through the 90s, especially after the release of the film The Mothman Prophecies. Because once people, you know, knew what it is, it started getting a lot more traction. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this one also kind of ties Mothman to a lot of natural disasters and everything. So, again, this is more on the speculative side. And not quite as scientific, but they still try to bring as much as what they can documentary style mm -hmm. to it as they can. But it's definitely a lot more fun than the first documentary that they did. Like a lot more possibly 
stretch threads connecting things where it's just like that's a bit of a stretch but i guess it still counts kind of yeah and like again speculating on what it could be as opposed to you know um more scientific stuff Mm. but still a good documentary um the first one was like very scientific and like it had good visuals and the second one was kind of more fun so again kind of the route that we took we got a little bit more fun as we continued with mothman yeah, that seems to be the way to go with this. Yeah. So those were kind of all the movies that were on it. So just to kind of recap on today's episode, we covered Creepypastas, we covered the Mothman Festival, we covered songs of all things, and there are three actually like hour-long movies, if not a little bit more, on Mothman. Yeah, so, there's a lot of stuff on this guy. Yeah. And um, if... Thing. Thing. We're going to go with Thing. Yeah, thing, uh, for sure. And if you're, you know, user of Reddit, you can go down so many rabbit holes regarding Mothman. Um, the big thing is with the Mothman Festival coming up, everyone's showcasing their work and, like, all the vendors are being like, hey, you can buy this at the Mothman Festival and everything. So it's definitely a platform for all things Mothman, which is fun. Pretty, pretty fun. At the very least, even if you're not like a believer, it's just something cool to go do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all that good stuff. So with that, we are closing things on Mothman. Wow, we've had quite a journey on a couple of these cryptid guys. First Slenderman and then this. Is, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, our our kind of first two-parter in a long time with Slenderman, and now this one's a three-parter, so, yeah. What's next? Are we going to just turn this into a series about Sasquatch? Maybe. I feel like Sasquatch is going to be, like, a really long, long thing. Like, he might be, like, a two-parter and then revisit episodes every now and again when we need topics. Maybe. I don't know. Everybody knows about Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Yeah, but I feel like Mothman, since he's kind of like in the alien genre, sort of cryptid genre, that kind of opens us up to a few different topics there. Like, I mean, I know we touched on the Men in Black before and maybe covering that's that interesting. or like alien sightings or something, because I feel like we're kind of gearing towards that point, at least with the cryptid stuff. Mm, we're definitely. S- yeah, we're still going to cover our true crime and throw quite a few in there coming up, oh, yeah. but... Um, yeah, no, I feel like, uh, the, these cryptids have definitely opened the door for us for a little more topics. Mm-hmm. Could be quite the endeavor up ahead of us, but thank you for coming with us on this Mothman journey. Yeah, we appreciate it. So if you guys want to help support us, please do so on Patreon or visit violentvice.bigcartel.com and buy our merch. We got a ton. We got pens. We got sweatshirts. We got tank tops. We got t-shirts. And we have stickers. So please go check those out. Um, Oh, baby. Yeah. I'm thinking about possibly designing a new t-shirt saying no ampersands here because that was our saying early on. It was. I don't know if we should bring that back or not. But if that's, like, something you guys like to see on something, please, you know, send us an IM or Gmail or whatnot and let us know because, you know, if that's something you're interested in, we'll definitely make it. So, yeah. Yeah. Plus, if you have ideas, be sure to send them our way. We wouldn't mind covering some stuff. And sometimes we have a hard time thinking of topics. So if you feel like you can help out, go for it. Yeah. Um, we're definitely open to everything. So with that, I'm going to say thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Violent Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Anne Rayback, And research done by Grand Dry Bildis. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violent Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice. Or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, violinvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. To keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.